It begins in Orlando, Florida and travels steadily to the West, beaming across North America and planet Earth and into your head. The world of safety never stops. And now, the Safety FM podcast and broadcast with Dr. Jay Allen. This episode of the broadcast and the podcast is brought to you by Arrow. The next generation error reduction and mitigation system. For more information, go to arrowhp.com. Well, hello and welcome to Safety FM. This is Jay Allen. I hope you're off to a fantastic week and things are going exactly the way that you're expecting so far. As for me, just still staying busy, being able to travel quite a bit and being able to take the word of safety and being able to spread it to different organizations. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to do so. Well, over the next few weeks, we're going to have some pretty interesting interviews come up. And let's start off with this interview that we have going on today. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing the host of the Safety Pro podcast, Blaine J. Hoffman. During our discussion, Blaine and I speak about his career, how he came up with the idea of the podcast, and where he sees the future of his podcast and his career going. As some of you are already aware, after this interview, Blaine and I had a discussion about him joining our Safety FM network. So as of last week, the Safety Pro podcast, or show, however you want to look at it, is available on safetyfm.com as a streaming service. And keep in mind that our streaming service is a free service. So I don't want there to ever be that annotation there that it sounds like we're charging for the service. No, it is a free service is available to you. It is a streaming radio station that has different podcasts and shows available on there. So listen to how it all started before Blaine and I got to the point where he was offered to come on to Safety FM. Of course, the streaming platform. I do want to reference before we go into the interview that we did record this interview in long form, so it is a little bit longer than most of our other interviews. Enjoy the interview here today on Safety FM, the flagship show. Enjoy the best safety shows on the planet on safetyfm.com. Well, Blaine, I appreciate this because I know that we've been going back. Well, I've been going forward quite a bit and then we kind of went back and forth and then you kind of vanished. But that's just that's all happens. I understand. Yeah. Work and uh, some other projects taking priority. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's hard to, uh, you know, the perils of interviewing. Uh, right. So- right. 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 I mean, and that's the thing that I that I find interesting is because you've been doing your show for a little over five years now. Right. Right. That's correct. But you do very few and far between interviews on the show itself. Is there a reason behind that? Yeah, uh, you're looking at it, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I batch record, and what I'll do is, um, and you know, we can get into this topic on the podcast. You know, once oh, we, start I, the, we are uh, always recording, so I normally okay. don't do any kind of formal introduction. I'll do that post, so you don't have to okay. worry about that particular portion because I think it kind of makes it weird if we go through like a whole conversation. And then I come back and go, well, how are you doing? Right. Okay. Yeah. So uh, normally what I, well, I batch record my podcast. So for the most part, that simply means for the, for those that don't know what it is, that's, I'll sit down and I'll have mapped out several topics and I'll record them all at once. And I'll go through that whole process. It's really hard to schedule interviews with folks like for a Sunday morning you know, 7 a.m. East Coast time. If I want to, you know, have the house quiet, I have a home studio uh, in the in the house, my home office. I've got all the sound uh, treatments on the wall and the microphones and the setup in my office, and I'll record. And it makes it impossible to interview. The other piece to that is, you know, every podcast is slightly different, but I wanted to. There were plenty of formats out there and safety that are interview based and you know i didn't one i didn't want to compete with that they're great great podcasts i listen to many of them myself and i wanted to do something a little different so for mine i basically i want to talk to safety pros and i wanted to take things down to a very tactical level like 
this is what, you know, this is what the Hascom standard says. And here's how you can actually implement those pieces of that standard. And here's some tips. Here's some downloads. Um, you know, when you hire somebody with a safety mindset, what do we mean by, you know, you want to look for a safety mindset? Here's what we mean. These are interview questions you can ask. And here's why you would ask these. This is what you're getting at. You know, so I tried to take a concept or idea and then I, I put it into actionable terms, things that they could just hit pause and actually go try or go do or go look at. And so that was sort of the differentiator with my podcast was, you know, helping you manage safety one episode at a time, you know, information you can you can use right now. So that's what I've stuck with. It works for me and it is by no means the best format for a safety podcast. It was just something that I wanted to do that was a little different so that I can then continue to, to enjoy the other podcasts that I still listen to that are interview based and, and do collaborate with other safety pros out there. I well, I'm going to tell you, I already have several questions that are going to come up out of that mm -hmm. in regards to what you just said. So when yeah. you do your batch and when you do your batches, how many, how many episodes are you doing at one time? Try to do four. Uh, you know, if you do a weekly podcast, one a week, then, you know, doing four at a time uh, helps because the next time you record, you know, is a month, it's a month later. So you buy yourself uh, three, four weeks to promote, to post, to, um, you know, and that, I'm not even talking about editing at this point, right? That's a whole, <laughs> as you know, oh, yeah. that's a whole nother <laughs> workflow, but at least you don't have to record, physically sit down and record. The prep work, as you also know, getting to break down a topic uh, you've got to write a post I, and I do a blog post for every one of my episodes as well as you know tweets and LinkedIn posts and so there's a lot of copy you have to write uh, that supports the episode so it's not just the spoken word there's also print and uh, things like that that you have to uh, lay out so you'll you're gonna need time so for every episode that's 45 minutes to an hour long you know, you're going to have four hours or so easily of research prep and just getting it ready. So to record one a week each week, if you miss one week, you're behind. And that's happened to me quite a bit, actually, going on vacation, travel for work for, or whatever. So I try to batch record four. That gives me two, three weeks in between to just get my next batch of topics and what's great is my listeners actually feed me the topics they want to hear, you know, more about. I'll ask uh, people on LinkedIn. I'll get feedback on LinkedIn. I'll, I'll be able to see what episodes are resonating with folks and get some feedback. And I have identified a core group of listeners that I go to a lot. I text and uh, or call. and I've gotten to know them over the last couple of years and uh, through the podcast. And I go to them and say, hey. I'm thinking about this topic. You know, what do you what are your thoughts on that? And they give me feedback. So, I very I'm very much in tune with what the listeners are saying and that they would like to hear, and I try to kind of give the people what they want if you will. So, it has taken on a life of its own where at first it was just me talking about your basic OSHA topics, uh, workplace safety topics, and now it's, you know, I'm getting into management systems, breaking down ISO 45001, and in very, you know, actionable terms, uh, you know, not just high level overview of what a safety management system is. So that's all coming from the listeners. So you're telling me it's not just turning on a microphone and just going from there. I, people ask me, I mean, tell me all the time that that's the simplicity behind a podcast. You, you can't tell me that this is totally different. <laughs> <laughs> well, the simplicity about a podcast is the technology is is easier now a microphone even even your average mic you know with something to record the audio on that part is easy but as you know if you want to build an audience you want to you know build them you know actually have regular listeners that uh, just you know not just listen to the podcast but they're subscribers they interact with you you know that takes work just like anything else and you have to understand who your audience is and uh, I'll go back to the beginning. That's where I s differentiated my podcast was, you know, I defined who my listener is. My listener is the safety professional, sort of mid-career, early career, 
and they're looking for more information on how to do this, that, or the other, or resources to, uh, you know, create this program or that program. And I break those topics down, give them some tips from my background and experience or other colleagues I've, I've talked to. And sometimes there's a download, a template, or some resource that I offer in the show notes as well. So that's my audience. I, and I, so you have to know your audience very well. And you have to know exactly what it is that they like, what they're thinking and feeling. And the only way to do that is to constantly be in contact with them, communicating with them, networking with them. I use LinkedIn a lot for that, but you have I've, to. I've, I've noticed. I've noticed that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. LinkedIn is is really big right now. Organic reach on LinkedIn is is you know it's what Facebook was four or five years ago when everybody was you know making hay on Facebook. But yeah, you have to do the hard work of getting to know the types of people you're speaking to, and you can't speak to everybody. And, and that's the problem. If your message is important to everybody, it's not important to any one person, really. So you have to know your audience, you have to niche down, and you have to stick with it consistently over a long period of time. Podcasting is a marathon. It's a long game. So from 2014 to now, I've been tweaking, refining, and learning. And But all the while, it's been the Safety Pro Podcast for safety professionals, wanting to know, you know more about how to manage safety day to day and breaking down those topics. And so that's what it's been up to this point. And it is, it is hard work and you know, it's a labor of love. I don't have anything to sell. That's the other weird thing is, you know, I tried monetizing. I had some sponsors and the good sponsors and it just didn't feel right to me. So, um, you know, the thing now is just finding somebody who believes in the medium, believes in the message and is willing to support the podcast, uh, kind of like a soft sponsor, if you will. And that's what we've we've done for the last uh, seven months or so. So let me ask a question. When you decide to go ahead and start your podcast, what does the landscape look like at the time? What are you looking at? What are, I won't say your competition, but who, are, who else is out there at the time that's putting out podcasts in the safety realm? Because I'm sure it looked much different then than what it looks like now. Oh, night and day. Yeah. So back then there were a few that they would post or uh, publish little two minute sort of, and that's where I got the uh, copy that I use today of, you know, no guru speak and no sage talk, just <laughs> real action. I, I love that line, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, I love the guru. I, when I say gurus, there's two types. There's the gurus that, you know, the caricature, they, they call themselves gurus. They call themselves thought leaders um and that which is weird to me i think that's something that others would bestow upon you you just keep doing what you're doing and others will come to know you as such you don't have to tell people that's what you are um if you have to tell them then you're probably not that's one of those things <laughs> um, there's that guru but then there are industry leaders there are the thought leaders in our industry and we all know who they are um whether whether it's reason conklin uh, or others that they influence and shape and help shape and contribute to our profession, the safety profession. Um, so I was hearing a few of the first type of guru that. Oh, I so post- want you to say the name. You know that I do, but you're no, not going to because you're I way too nice. That. No, I, I can. Be, I know I exactly who you're talking about, but I won't say it because I'll be yes. nice to you on this one. Yeah. And <laughs> they, um, you know, they would post or publish little episodes that were two minutes. And I'm thinking, (laughs) wait a minute, what could you possibly bestow upon me in two minutes that would significantly change the way I look at my profession or the way I go about performing my job as a safety professional? What could you possibly impart upon me? What what wisdom do you have? And I'll listen and it's things like obvious stuff, like Captain Obvious, right? It's if you want to, if you want to impact people's lives, you have to build trust. Think about that when you uh, approach people with safety, and it's like, what? That's it? That's your? That's what you got for me? I just. So I thought there's got to be a better I would way almost, to do this. I would almost assume that this particular podcaster has over 500 episodes at the moment, but I'm not going to name anyone. <laughs> well, I, you know what? If I took all of my episodes, which, you know, I, I, I'm humble uh, in, in this, uh, you know, there aren't that many. But if I broke them up into two minute episodes, I'd be into thousands. But yeah, <laughs> so 
Yeah, I look, and I'm not dogging on anybody. It's just for me when I was looking for information, I was looking for you know resources. I that's what I found. So I thought, okay, there there might be a market for this, and that's how I started. I did take a look at what was out there, and. You know, you definitely want to see some evidence of others doing this, right? Because that's that's called market validation. It's okay to have competition. You actually want competition. A certain amount of healthy competition is needed in any market. Um, imagine if I were the only one, the first and only one to ever launch a safety podcast. Why? 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 How come nobody's come before me? You know. That would be weird for me. I would I would probably say, yeah, I'm going to wait. <laughs> Let somebody <laughs> else go first. But you definitely want market validation. And I did seek that out. And But I didn't like what I was finding. Now, today, fast forward, there are some fantastic safety podcasts that are out there. Um, one of the newer uh, members to the uh, in the field, Amplify Your Sa- Process Safety, uh, with the uh, Amplify Process Safety folks, fantastic and that's same thing they found a niche and it is all process safety that's that's their whole thing and so that's a great example of how we can all coexist we all swim in the same pool and um, you know there's plenty to go around but you also want to diversify if i'm a listener i'm not just listening to one safety podcast i'm listening to probably three or four and you almost need that many to kind of round out the information these safety pros are looking for, second and third opinions, different ways of approaching a, a problem or, you know, an, an issue in safety. So it's good to have, um, you know, a solid mix of folks taking different approaches and different angles to this. So where does the love for safety come about? Because everything that I can find about you, you've been doing safety for a very long period of time. So what what is the story? How did it all start for you? Well, I was a young child. I'm kidding. I don't, have, <laughs> I don't have a story like that. I will tell you that I always wanted to be a firefighter. And when I was young, I, it was appealing to me to ride on the big red engine. And so that's what I set out to do. And I did. I was a firefighter. So I came out of the fire service, fire industry. I quickly got into prevention and education when I was in the fire department, mostly because I learned that uh, you can get bored depending upon which jurisdiction you you run in, you can get bored real quick because, you know, it's not like there's fires going on every day in some of these suburban areas, right? Where in where I worked, that was the case. So you had a lot of downtime. That meant you're either cleaning something, uh, cooking something, or you're just repacking your gear, you know, going through your stuff. So what I did is uh, me and, and a couple of other folks, we would read up on fire code, ordinances, things like that. And so I volunteered to help do some inspections in our jurisdiction one afternoon with the uh, fire prevention folks. And I kind of liked it. I liked uh, interacting with it. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be you're going to go in and write tickets and, and everything else. And <laughs> really what it was, was it was an outreach opportunity uh, for our department in the community to build relationships with the business owners and the we did some commercial uh, inspections but we quickly found that a lot of these business owners at the time uh, early to mid 90s uh, they lacked you know basic fire prevention plans emergency evacuation planning and training and things that we could help them with and I really enjoyed that I enjoyed being out in the community working with people and when I looked to get some more training I went to the Ohio State Fire Academy and was taking a juvenile fire setters and arson investigation. Uh, Unfortunately, we lost a colleague uh, at the time when I had taken a leave of absence to get some schooling done. And, you know, talking with the wife at the time, uh, that kind of got our our attention. And I said, you know, I think I'm, I'm on the right path here with prevention and education. And I looked into a local community college down the road, Sinclair College in Dayton a great community college. They had a program called Safety Risk Management and uh, Environmental Technology. Half the classes uh, for the, the first uh, part of the degree two-year degree program involved fire science, fire prevention. I thought, I'm a shoe-in, right? So I got some, uh, transferred some credits from my fire days, got my degree, 
minored in environmental technology and uh, then went on to get my you know, bachelor's and master's and all the while, you know, working a couple different jobs in the private sector as a safety manager, safety coordinator, just doing like most of us do, uh, working yourself up and 20, almost 25 years later, it's, you know, you and I are talking. Um, and in that pro in that process, I also started my own consulting business and I did that for about 10 years and I wanted to get back to working for, you know, an, a manufacturing um, company organization with multiple sites and hands on, you know, managing safety programs. And I, I'm glad I had that, you know, almost decade of out there with multiple, whether it was DOD private employers, even some farms, a mining site, uh, doing that that work for them and that, that experience helping them partner with OSHA or implement ANSI Z10, uh, things like that. I'm glad I did that. I would recommend you know anybody that can do a stint in consulting, you learn a lot about one, customer success, customer service, um, honoring your obligations, being able to scope projects and manage those and manage multiple projects. There's a lot to to learn in the consulting business. And uh, I would encourage anybody to, to try it at least. Um, you know, that brought me back to the private sector uh, where I am today. And, um, you know, I'm glad for it. And then I get to do the podcast. That was my passion. Um, I said, you know, how can I continue to communicate with people and talk with people and share uh, our collective knowledge and what we learn from each other? And podcasting at the time was, you know, taking root in 2014. And I said, you know, this is something I can do to scratch that itch while I go back into the private sector. And that's why I started the podcast, just literally to just help people. I'm, and I said it before, I, I have nothing to sell on the podcast, which is kind of unique in, in, in that regard as well when you look at some other podcasts. So as you look at through the whole career that you've done, did you ever truly enjoy some of the private sector business that you were doing outside of the consulting gig? Like, did you enjoy the work that you were doing there? And then before you actually decided to, you know, to go ahead and say, okay, I'm in the consulting business. I like some of the private sector stuff, but let me get back into the private sector. What was the drive behind the private sector and leaving the consulting business? Because as some people know, some of the consulting business can be relatively lucrative depending on what you're doing. Yeah, it was, it was extremely lucrative. Um, I can't complain about that part. Um, you know, traveling 20, 22 to 28 weeks a year, um, that can take a toll. It's definitely a, a, a young person's game. Uh, if you have a young family, you know, the children started to get older and I don't know, just, you just mature. Uh, we all, if I were in the same place professionally that I was 25 years ago, that I would probably be doing something wrong. We're, I think we're supposed to learn, grow, um, change and mature. I don't just mean by age, I mean just, you know, grow into, you know, who we are as people and what we want to do. So that played, uh, played a role. The other one was, and I didn't realize this early on going into it, I went into consulting accidentally. I worked for a company and the president of the company came to me one day and said, hey Blaine, I've got a friend of mine, he owns a company uh, out there by the airport. Uh, he just had, it was a machine shop. He just had somebody cut part of his finger off and OSHA's out there. Could you go and maybe help him out? I said, what, what are you kidding me? What? He says, yeah. He goes, well, send him an invoice. I pay you. He could pay you too. You know, and it was sort of like <laughs> a joke, but it just started this process of, wow. Okay. He called me back again to help him with something else. And he had another uh, business owner, a friend owned another business and that happened again. And I got involved with the local uh, association that we were members of on that safety committee, started doing training. And then, uh, you know, that's when I got started with the uh, OSHA Ed Center in that area. I then chaired the outreach program. I got dual authorized to teach the 10s and 30s and then the OSHA uh, curriculum as well at the Ed Center and did that that sort of lent itself to people calling you. And so I ended up having, oh man, I think the last year, the last year I worked full time for that company, that same year I had made uh, a little more than half of my salary, uh, the equivalent of half of my salary doing training and consulting. So I'd already built up, you know, this, customer base, if you will. So I knew that if I had left, if I decided to make that leap, I already had money rolling in. I had a pipeline 
and I knew exactly what to do to get more. And so it was an easy transition. It was an easy decision and I enjoyed it. And I think as I, as I experienced more of those client, the client work and going into these manufacturers, I got to work with these teams. I got to hire safety managers for these companies and interview them. I got to assemble teams and, and show them how to, you know, how to set up a safety team. And we got to create union jobs at some shops that weren't there before, full-time union positions as, you know, safety reps for some of these areas and then work with them and developing them. And, but the problem is, is I would leave, I would come back a month later, they would share with me all the, the stuff they did in just the three and a half weeks between. And, you know, I couldn't take part in any of that. I kind of missed out on that. And so being a part of a, a work family, I'm using air quotes here, but being <laughs> part of the family, it, you know, even though I got to know them and know, like, and trust, and they still contact me and connect with me, I wasn't, I was still an outsider. So I didn't realize that that would affect me as much as it did. And that's sort of one of the other drivers that pushed me back into the private sector is, you know, I, I want to be a part of that team, a part of that success. I want to share in that with them as not an outsider, but somebody who's there every day that they can rely on. And um, that's sort of that's sort of what pushed me back in there. So as I listen to you talk, and then I actually go through some of the portions that I could find about your career, it looked like you went to several different companies and these different companies, some of them actually do different safety practices compared to some of the other ones. Um, you were at a pretty big manufacturer for aviation, and I won't mm -hmm. go into name unless you want to. And they were a big proponent of something that's known as human and organizational performance. Yes, absolutely. Were you, in, were you involved there? I hop training there and mm -hmm. was a hop coach for about seven of the sites, seven of the manufacturing plants at one site. So as you get to see so many of these different concepts of safety, and, we'll, and I'm using now air quotes too to, to follow you, <laughs> but I, as, I, as you see the different concepts that are out there based on the different organizations, and you kind of have to tailor what you do when you go out and you speak with people and how you actually take the approach to your podcast, what are your beliefs and concepts when it comes to safety? Oh man, so it's it's pretty straightforward. Safety, it you know, I maybe I get this from the fire service. I, I remember a captain telling me once he had a lot of little one liners. You talk about one liners, I should do a podcast of just his one liners, but he had a, a few gems. One of them was he, he told me safety doesn't or I'm sorry, not safety, an accident doesn't care how long you've been on the job doesn't care who you are it doesn't care if you're a good person doesn't care if you're a man or a woman doesn't care if you're young or old an accident does not care who you are all an accident needs to happen is on some level for it to be allowed to be permitted and I said well what do you mean by that and he said well let me break it down and he goes into this long spiel. This is a very long conversation we had about, you know, individual choices, individual experiences, background, knowledge, education, um, how long how long you have been doing this particular task. Um, that accident doesn't care if it's your first day or if it's your 31st day or 30 year, 30th year. 30th um, year. Then he talks about, well, what about the organization? You know, how prepared is the organization for the work that they're asking you to do, uh, the industry that they're in? Um, you know, he would bring up roofers a lot and say, you know, you would think a roofing contractor who specializes in just roofs would know about fall protection. You know that, but you would be shocked to find this at the time, mid nineties, you'd be shocked to find a lot of roofers, roofing companies. <laughs> um, don't you go, you look and they, they couldn't tell you the first thing about fall protection and their job every day is to get up in the air. You know, and so you think they would know. So he kind of broke down this whole all the way from the individual to the organization and everything in between that could go wrong. And he liked to couch it in this phrase of if it's permitted. Now, he doesn't mean willful or willingly, but, you know, even, you know, unknowingly sometimes. So that kind of set my mind that created a mindset for me early on. He influenced you know, my approach to this as, you know, we've got to be a little more holistic about how we look at 
incidents, accidents, when we look at mishaps, we look at, you know, root causes and then contributing factors to those root causes. And how deep can we get? You know, it's almost like a challenge. How deep can we really go to find how far back we could have intervened to prevent this? And and at what point does it make the most sense to intervene and to prevent this? And so that, that started me off with the investigation process early on in the fire department. And, and the manufacturer that you mentioned, you know, when, it, when I got there, that, that was their mindset as well, which is, look, we've got the, the human and organizational performance. And we have how we interact with everything from, you know, policies, procedures, work instructions, who wrote those, how well were those written, and the person that wrote those, what was their background and experience? I mean, you can't just look at a single point of failure or point to a single root cause and say, oh, that person lost part of their finger in that machine because he wasn't paying attention. It's like, wow, if if I would have known that 25 years ago, that all I had to do is tell people to pay attention, I would have, you know, I could have re- retired and I've been in the Bahamas by now. I could have made a serious <laughs> bank on that. But uh, apparently it's a dirty little secret because it's got to be more complicated than that. Otherwise, we would have we would just pay attention. Right. So so the hop approach to me was interesting because for those of us and I had a lean background as well. And some of there are aspects that overlap. And the the whole approach to me was appealing because it made sense when you talk to average people, you know, take it out of the context of work or the work environment and just talk to people and you have these normal conversations, this is the logical way that we think, right? We think like if something happened at the house, um, you know, even a minor incident at the house, mowing the lawn or, you know, throwing a rock with the lawnmower into the neighbor's window, it's like, they'll tell you flat out, oh, well, yeah, I, I should probably go check, you know, the yard for rocks before I mow and things like that. But it's, all of a sudden we get into the workplace everybody's an idiot everybody's to blame it's you shouldn't have done that and you know we we change our mindset a little bit so i've also taken this approach of of making that connection of off the job and and being at home both personal accountability and um and also how we establish our work you know in the workplace how the organization sets up the work to begin with and everything from who we hire who we put in positions of, of influence and oversight. Um, oh, and don't get me started on the accidental safety people. Um, that's a good one too. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, if you talk to people and have a real conversation, most people understand that putting blame on an individual when something happens, is probably, it's probably not effective. And it's, it's actually dishonest. And, there are other things that we have to consider in the organization. And what I've always told people, especially managers and supervisors, is even if, even if you can point to the individual and tell me without a doubt that individual is the reason why that incident happened, you still need to ask yourself, if that were true, how is it that individual was able to do that? How is it that that individual either got past the interview process and got through the hiring process, got through the training process and got out onto the shop floor or out onto the job site with all these other people that are not like that and and no red flag, nobody noticed this, right? So you don't get a pass even if you can point to an individual person and it was their fault, using air quotes again. Um, That's the downside of audio. You can't. You don't get that (laughs) (laughs) sarcasm piece. But look, organizations have to hold themselves to a much higher standard and have to be willing to take an honest look at their practices, policies, procedures, or lack thereof. And so what I've learned, and you mentioned all these different approaches along the way that these different companies have taken that, that I've been with, you have to be insanely curious and i i like to think i always have been you have to be willing to learn and try new things you have to be willing to consider that there might be another area that we could look at of 
you, whether it's an incident or an approach that we could try and take to managing safety. And what I've picked up along the years from all of these engagements and exposure to these different organizations is that while they all have so slight differences in how they apply this stuff, one thing is true. You're not going to, you're never going to get out of this, you know, away from this notion that it, it is holistic, that it is a system that is connected and that all the parts of the system have to be addressed. Um, you know, that you, you can't have that single point of failure. That's just, that's just not going to happen. You're not going to have Blaine is an idiot. And that's why that accident happened. How is it, and I used to joke, how is it you have an idiot working for you and you didn't know it? Seriously, and how? And what was the right? answer you normally got? They would just look at me. So I'll tell you a quick story, true story. But hold on, before you go into the true story, how does this actually turn the way that you actually look at safety? So it, I don't think it turned the way it, I looked at safety. I think it confirmed the way I had been developing my outlook when I got when I went through the hop training and I got exposure to some of those concepts or ideas and I don't know you could tell me because you talk to a lot of these the folks the coaches and, and the folks that do the consulting and the training are you trying to say that I speak to the gurus because now I'm gonna I'm gonna take offense to that <laughs> I didn't say gurus I said to the folks the fine folks <laughs> the fine folks that do this training and so they may be able to tell you but my experience in the two, three, actually three different sessions that uh, I was involved in, you look around the room and you talk to people when they come out and it's like, they, they almost smack themselves in the head and go, well, duh, why didn't I, you, why didn't I see this earlier? Why didn't I know this before? It, it makes sense. It just makes sense. Right. So it just confirmed for me, you know, everything I'd been thinking and feeling uh, along the way that yeah this is this is the approach that we're going to have to take going forward this it makes sense so my interaction with people uh when i ask them you know rhetorical questions and i do it to be ridiculous to get their attention is they give me the blank stare and they go yeah you're right and because they know sometimes you just have to jar them you have to make them give them that aha moment that smack in the head moment like well duh you're right this is this is what we have to do if we want to stop this from happening again. And the minute you can blame somebody, I mean, literally blame, you know, Joe or Jane, it's their fault. Then you can wash your hands of it. You could say, we have nothing more to do here and we are not responsible in any way, shape or form that it was a bad actor and we disciplined or we just, or we did nothing. We just let it go. But and that's a bad position to be in. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't feel comfortable with that and I never have. So, you know, that's, that's the approach I've always taken And And that story I was going to tell you is, is funny. This was an individual that I was hired to do inspections and uh, of their work. And I would do a write up and give some written recommendations. And there was one supervisor out of all the supervisors that would never follow the rules and use the uh, protective equipment uh, that was needed. In this case, um, it was well. I won't. I won't say who, where it was, but because people could probably figure that out. You're always so kind. <laughs> uh, well, I try. I try to keep myself out of hot water. So, so what I did was uh, about the fourth or fifth week, I encountered this supervisor, uh, just doing just everything wrong, doing everything wrong. I went into the uh, president's office and I said. Um, I'll, I'll use a fake name. I'll say Steve. I'll say his name is Steve. It was not Steve, but I'll say that. I would say, uh, okay, this is the last report I'm going to give you on Steve. And he just says, well, what do you mean? I said, my professional opinion, Steve is going to get somebody killed. And I'm not kidding. It's, he doesn't use the protective system. He, he's terrible to his people. Nobody's following any of the rules. The other supervisors are. So we know they're able to. They, you know, that, but this one it will not do. He flat out refuses. He has the worst attitude of all of them. You hired me to protect you from risk and liability. At this point in time, if he's continuing to work for you, the best way for me to protect you is to not have a stack of evidence on your desk telling you that this guy is going to kill somebody. And he just looked at me. 
And he said, well, what do you expect me to do? I don't have, you know, somebody to, do you know somebody, do you have somebody to replace him? Or he made some comment like that. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's your job. That's your job is to develop your people. You're, you're supposed to be, you know, constantly developing your, your leaders. I said, you permit this individual to exist in your organization. You're allowing it. And I said, everybody knows it. And so I said, let me ask you this. What would happen if Steve got the flu tomorrow and he's out for three weeks? What would you do? Well, yeah, I guess we would we would make do or get, I could, well, he just got the flu. And I'll be, I, I'm not telling, I'm telling you the truth, hand to God. That individual was terminated the next day. And that wasn't my goal, but I had to get his attention somehow. And I had foremen coming up to me for weeks after they could not believe that happened. They were so happy that that person was, I mean, he was just a, a bad seed. He was, it was a toxic environment at their level of the organization because of this individual. They got performance bonuses and this person was always ahead getting the most bonuses and the most work done, but he cut every corner to do it and the other ones didn't. So that it, you don't realize that it's not just the direct risk that you're assuming, you're also what you're doing to your culture by permitting somebody like that to exist in your company and operate that way in your company, but others are holding themselves to a higher standard, doing the right thing, if you will. Uh, there's also in some indirect risk where you're going to drive the good people away and you're going to, after a while, you're just going to end up with all of those folks like Steve and you're going to be in real trouble. So the, the individual bad actor is it's still incumbent upon the organization, the leaders in the organization to intervene and do something about that. You can't just say, oh, that's just Steve. It's his fault. That's not good enough. I, it's never been good enough for me. Well, the, the, the way you have to look at it is that you have people that are intentionally violating things that are in place. Well, they're not going to be a good fit for the organization. The other right. side there is that leadership has to have an active involvement on what's going on. Plus, on top of that, they can't turn the blind eye because, as you are aware, that's going to change the culture inside of the organization, especially when you have people that are doing things, like you said, the right way. But people are tending to ignore the Steves of the world because, hey, he's I won't say that he's a pet, but he's the one that's looked at because he's doing all this production at X amount of level. Yeah. And that was my first um, I got clue into, wow, you know, if. If you want to be the best at quality, at productivity, at cost and delivery and be a market leader, um, you, you have to be good at all of them. And then safety is included, of course. But if you think about it this way, if you want to be the best at quality, but you have a poor safety program, uh, high incident rate, you have unplanned stops in work, you have people going off jobs to light duty and having somebody cover two machines. Or how 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 was your quality going to be impacted by that? Do you think? Well, right? you're not going to have very good quality. Then we'll start right. off with that. <laughs> then what's going to happen to your cost? Right, your cost eventually is going to go up. Your rates will go up. Your comp, your shop rate goes up as a result, and therefore you're less competitive. Um, so if you want to be good at quality, you want to be the cost leader. You want to be. You have to be good at all of it across the board. You can't just be good at one thing. So safety, and I mentioned, I made a joke about the accidental safety person earlier. And and this is, these are some of the people that helped shape me too. That I've come across a couple of organizations where somebody got injured and almost as a punishment, they said, well, you're going to be the safety person now. Mm-hmm. That's exactly and how it goes. They don't support them. They didn't give them any training. They didn't give them any uh, technical skills. They didn't send them to classes. They just said, "Here, you name another profession, Jay." And, and this is funny. I'm gonna. I should do a podcast on this one. Name another profession where that even remotely makes sense. Can you imagine the person that bullies their coworkers is inappropriate in conversations with them and doesn't get along with others? And as a punishment of people complaining about this individual, as a punishment, they say, "You know what? We're going to make you in charge of HR." Not even one comes to mind that I can even think that that's how they use it. Yeah. yeah. You keep breaking all the equipment, running it into the ground. You know, we're going we're to make you in charge of maintenance. 
as a result. That'll fix it. <laughs> Safety is about the only thing I can think of that we do that. You get an accident, an injury, and you're on light duty and you can't, quote, do anything. So we're going to make you do safety. It's it's bizarre to me. So the safety profession, as a profession, and, you know, I'm talking to somebody like yourself who's ex- extremely qualified and credentialed, and you get this. But what I want others to understand, especially leaders out there, is that, you know, safety, one, needs to be an integral part of the business from the business plan, operations, a seat at the table, on the board. It needs to be an integral part, just like quality, productivity, engineering, um, you know, financial, that that whole piece right there. It needs to start at the top. And then you'll have the right, the respect, I'm using air quotes again, where we hire HR professionals to handle human resources. We hire financial professionals to be the CFO, to be the controller. We hire engineers. To, we hire safety professionals to head up safety and represent safety in our organization. Um, and I think we've gone, we've made a lot of progress, but I remember those days and I'll still come across uh, every once in a while, these accidental uh, folks that they say, dude, I'm, I'm just trying to keep my head above water. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm like, well, shame on that company. They should support you. I'm not saying you can't put people in that position. I'm saying if you put people in that position, you have to support them. And uh, that's the piece that was missing for a while. And I've seen a lot of headway in our industry and with folks like that that you associate with, that that you're familiar with, you know, going out to these companies and doing the training and uh, whether it's hop or whether it's with uh, lean, whether it's with, uh, you know, uh, root cause analysis, whether it's just doing, you know, with the National Safety Council or ASSP, some of these associations, a lot of great work is going on out there in in safety. It's a great profession to be in right now. And the future looks really, really good if anybody's looking to get into, you know, a, a really good profession uh, that pays well and is going places. Safety is, is a place to look. I'm really optimistic about the future. And you can look to these companies that are that are getting it, whether it's the the GEs or you know the the big companies out there that are that are putting safety at, up front as a part of the business as a, as a way of operating. They understand the value, the connection there. Um, you can look to those companies as you know how should we be approaching this as well. I don't think businesses have an excuse anymore, right? <laughs> no. In, in 2019 to. Uh, to, to just give themselves a pass. I, I just don't understand those that well, do. Well, as you see this, as there's some people that are in our industry that are aging out and you're seeing a newer and younger generation coming in, where do you see some of the transitioning taking place? And I know that I'm asking you to uh, predict the future question. I might ask you for lotto numbers at the end, but that's a whole other story. But what I want you to th- think about here for a moment is as you're seeing the millennials come in, and the different generations, where do you see the industry going? Do you see that it will be real within the next couple of years where safety will have a seat at the board, where safety will actually be inside of that C-suite? Do you see those changes already occurring? I do in, in pockets. I do. And like I said, I am optimistic. And I would say probably not a year or so. I'd probably say five to ten. Okay. Look, millennials, you know, you could... I, you could find all sorts of articles on the the worldwide interwebs on you know millennials this and millennials that. And my experience with millennials uh, to date has been, by and large, highly motivated, incredibly intelligent, uh, tech savvy. They they do not tolerate mediocrity. Okay, they expect results, uh, maybe to a fault, but that's okay uh, because for the most part, that's what drives them to to you know to do better and. I so I see the energy uh, for that millennials bring to the workforce. I see the intelligence. Uh, I see bringing tech, technology. As you know, I'm big into technology. Um, I, I enjoy that that side of things too. But I, I'm very optimistic. I'd say in the next five to ten years, uh, it's going to be a completely different landscape. On the flip side to that, I do see a trend. Um, I call it a trend. This is just my personal opinion. I have no empirical data to support this. It's just my my take. I do see the, a trend on, you know, hating on things that 
that were uh, invented or or thought up or created before me, you know, type of thing, that approach like, oh, how can that be valid now? Because, you know, it was uh, it was created before my time. So everything new isn't always better is, right. is my, what I would caution some of these folks coming into the profession. Um, be careful coming in and just, you know, throwing over tables and tipping over chairs and, and upending. Um, you know, this institution that we have. We do need to innovate. We need to innovate quickly. We need to um, we need to be agile, but there's a way to do it. So the, the issues I've come across that I've seen have been more on the, uh, not the IQ side, but the EQ side, if that makes sense. The um, sort of being self-aware, um, being able to work well with others, some of the the flip side to being ambitious and being very smart and energetic and not not tolerating mediocrity so the flip side to that is you you know you can come in too fast too hard and fast right and it's almost like shock and awe uh, we we have to develop this next generation beyond just safety technical safety knowledge we have to generate i don't want to say soft skills but I think you know where I'm going with this. We have to generate some of those leadership qualities and abilities. And I don't know if it's online schooling. I don't know if it's um, some of these certifications. Uh, I, I would ask you, actually, uh, what your take is on that. I don't know if it's too easy to get some of these certifications. Oh, it's you know it's way too easy. I can become yeah, certified so I an expert. Oh, I'll, I'll say it. I have no problem saying it. You can become an expert within a four-day certification course, and I just don't believe that I'm an expert walking in and being able to pull that off and say, I yeah, know so, about X within four uh, okay. days. So I'm, I'm, I'm the bad in, guy. It's I'm okay. I'm company here then. Good. So I think that's probably the risk we have is that if we go in and say – you know, I'm a I'm a 20 something, and I go into this organization and go, Root, that you shouldn't be doing that that A3 form. You should be doing this and get to the root. Co-. They're going to look at you and say, you know, we get to that same place using these tools. You just call it something different and and refer to it in a different term, but you know, we're getting there the same way, right? You risk sort of getting egg on your face, if you will. Uh, just, I would just caution people, just listen, learn, be curious, and be willing to try different things and, um, and just broaden your horizons a little bit. I think that, that would be my, my caution. But you're right. I think that the downside is that you can come in at 24 now and be a CSP and expect to and, and have had one job for two years, three years or, you know. I don't look, look, I'm not, it's not a criticism. It's just, I would be careful if I were talking to that group of uh, the next generation is there's, I don't say there's a certain amount of cutting your teeth that has to take place, but you have to learn. You have to learn how businesses operate, how business works. There's psychology behind a lot of this stuff. (laughs) Take as many courses as you can. Talk to as many other professionals as you can. Talk to folks that have been doing it for 15, 20, 30 years at different levels of their career. Um, Just never stop learning. Never. Uh, Don't come in at 23 and think 24 and think you've got it figured out. Oh, I think that I think that's a whole other conversation, but I, right. but here's here's my question for you. As you're seeing these changes and you made reference of talk to the people that have years of experience, do you do you see that some of the younger generation and I'm, and I'm not picking on millennials and I'm not picking on different generations, I'm just trying to see your perspective. Do you think that they look at that as a bad thing that you have so much experience and they're bringing this new wave or new form into the organization? Yeah, I think maybe it's my age. I'm a little sensitive to it. I, I don't, I don't pick up on it too much. But I don't think you're much older than me, so I'll, I'll say that you're relatively young. <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. I, every once in a while, you'll get a whiff of it, Jay. Right? You'll hear somebody use the buzzword. Uh, oh, they're old school. Right. And they'll say it like it's a bad thing. And I'm like, well, okay. What do you mean by that? You know, you can't just throw a label out there. You, you, quantify, you qualify that somehow. And 
you know, they, they say, well, old school, you know, does, he's not young. He doesn't do the new things. I'm like, well, what do you mean the new things? <laughs> you know, maybe his way of doing it or her way of doing it gets the same results and builds the same relationships and wins the same hearts and minds. It's just a different approach. It's just a different tactic. Um, and, and, and it's their style. So I, I would just caution people on that one. But I think you're right. I think, I, I think what I hear the most is that in my, the folks that I talk to, though, so my podcast listeners, my audience, they're definitely not in that category because they're listening to podcasts for the purpose of learning and growing. And so they're, they're purposefully seeking out other concepts and ideas and viewpoints. And that's incredible. So I feel, I feel completely, uh, you know, fortunate that I've, been able to develop relationships with a large group of these listeners. Uh, most of them are young and um, they're not, that's why I say I'm very optimistic. When I go out into the uh, field, out into the workforce, and uh, I come across some of these other folks we're talking about, that's the, that's where I kind of have pause is that we still have those people. And I think you'll always will. I think you'll always have that. And I think my generation, and like I said, I, you know, I came, came out of the you know, nine, I graduated high school in 89, if that helps you. Um, <laughs> and it, for my generation, I think what we need to, to realize is if, if we are bashing on millennials, we need to stop. We need to one set an example, but we have to realize they are going to carry the torch for us. We're going to hand that off at some point. So it is our job to not um, not brainwash them, not make them into mini me's and, you know, turn them into us, but it's our job to recognize the, the generation they grew up in, um, you know, the backgrounds that, you know, and experiences that they bring and, and look at where we were when we started out. I, I don't even want to think about that first safety job I had coming <laughs> into the private sector. It was a nightmare, right? I don't want to, I don't, I don't, I don't know that guy. I don't know who that guy is anymore. Um, but we need to we need to have some empathy here uh, for anybody that comes into a career new and young, and we need to be the leader we wish we had. You know, we need to be the leader that uh, we need to be to inspire them and lead them into their future career, so that we can we can exit with grace. And that's a challenge. So our generation needs to take the position of mentor coach, uh, advice, trusted advisor, uh, not instructing people on what to do, but just being there for them, listening. And, and like I said, empathy is the big thing is, is understanding that we we're different generations. We come from different places, have different backgrounds and, um, we're going to get there together. But I think both sides have a role to play. And, and that's certainly the position I've taken by, by sharing things like this and what you're doing with your podcast in you know, just talking to different people with different backgrounds and ideas. It's invaluable to, to get that kind of exposure. Right. I appreciate you saying that. Well, Blaine, I have a question for you. What do you have new coming down the pipe? Wow. So just continuing with the podcast, um, I think uh, with my podcast, I'm going to try to do a few interviews here and there a little bit more. I'm, I've started go doing podcasts on location. I got invited to podcast from the VPPPA National Safety Plus Sym Symposium in New Orleans, and that was exciting uh, when they they found my podcast and asked me to come down there and podcast from their event. They've asked me to come back to Orlando for next year as well, and so I'm going to try to do more public speaking and talk about some of these concepts and ideas. And one is uh, that I'm working on is you know how to broadcast your you see the play on words there how to broadcast mm -hmm. your safety message, and that is. You know, safety pros, uh, we need to be able to diversify and whether it's spoken word, video, uh, print, we need to diversify how we broadcast our safety messaging to our, our population, to our companies, our organization. And we need to kind of take some notes from folks like you and uh, myself as a podcaster, how we're getting our messages out and how we're connecting with people businesses can do that internally as well. So I'm on this kick lately on how to teaching businesses, how they can take the same approach internally and, and really, uh, you know, throttle up their safety message by using 
you know, different media approaches and getting, you know, taking a page out of the PR marketing uh, book and with their safety messaging. So doing public speaking is um, on the radar. I've got a couple of gigs lined up and I'll see how those go, but I want to get out there more and uh, just connect with people and uh, talk and uh, learn from them as well. And then uh, obviously professionally, just always looking for opportunities um, to continue to learn and grow as well. And just like you, uh, I'm, I'm gonna stay insanely curious and um, you know, always keep an open mind. Now, Blaine, if, they will, if the audience wants to get more information about you, what's your website that they can go to? The website for the podcast is pretty simple, thesafetypropodcast.com, all one word, and they can get information there. Uh, they can see, you know, all, listen to all the episodes and see all the show notes as well and, uh, you know, get upcoming episodes there. It's also everywhere podcasts are, you know, I remember the days, Jay, where it was basically Apple Podcasts, right? It was, that was it. <laughs> that was it. That There's Google, uh, there's, you know, Spotify, there's uh, Pandora, there is, then there's all the podcast apps you can get to. So I just say wherever podcasts are found, that's where you can find the Safety Pro, Pro Podcast on mobile as well. Find your favorite, your favorite podcatcher and that'll do the job. Well, Blaine, I have to tell you, we need to do this again. It can't be this long between the first one and this one was when we do it the second time. And I appreciate we you coming should, on. We Safety should get FM. a group of us on. We should do a panel or something. That would be Oh, fun. we can. We definitely can. And once we're going to hang up on this, and this will be my teaser, I have some questions for you if you don't mind, but I appreciate you coming on to Safety FM. Sure. Thanks. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.